I broke down four o'clock in the morning driving a $400 car, which I drove for four years. Got your money's worth. I got my money's worth. I'm always a very talkative guy, chatterbox, driving Michael. He goes, Ali, what the hell is wrong with you? You're not fucking talking. Are you sick? I was like, no, I had a rough morning. What happened? Explained to him what happened. And he said, okay, call Nancy, his wife. I was like, why? Is she a mechanic? He goes, stop being a wise ass. Just call her after you drop me. I did. Nancy said, Ali, I'm really sorry I heard you had a rough morning. So this is what we're going to do. We have a Tahoe and we have a Forerunner, which my son Sean was driving. He just got a new car, so it's just parked there. You can have it. I'm thinking in my mind, they're lending me the car until I can figure out what I'm going to do. I'm like, thank you so much. I go to the house to get the car. She hands me a title. On the back of the title, it says gift. And I have to promise her that I'm going to take that car to a mechanic. And if there's any problem, I'm going to get it fixed and give her the bill. And I said, Nancy, I can never do that to you. So those kind of people I met in this journey really made me want to be like Mike. Mike was such a powerful guy, well-off guy, but when I see his guests, they talked about after an amazing dinner we just went to, Mike will come home and still make sandwiches for them. He forgot how powerful he was in that life. But at home, he was just an average a regular job. guy. Regular guy. And I said to myself, if I ever make it big, I want to meet that guy. Dude, we all have the best time ever to start a small business. If I'm not going to be 100% in, I'm not going to do it. Come on, man. Just be yourself. Yeah, and, like, and just show up as yourself. If you don't realize what I'm really about, I'm about freedom, family, and my country. Ali, welcome. Thank you so much. It's really an honor to have you here. And I'm going to go on a rant for about a minute and a half here. This show was started and is predicated on being able to find financial freedom within the United States of America. And that's obtainable for anybody. You know, we're throwing our event coming up here and I'm gonna be telling my story. I'm gonna get real raw and vulnerable about what I went through, but I was born here. But this country still to this day, by far, is the best place to find that financial freedom and real freedom. We met about two, three weeks ago when you drove me courtesy of Mike Daniele, um, to the airport when I was flying out to Utah. And within 50 minutes of going to Newark Airport, your story really touched me and resonated with me. Um, the way that you came here and what you thought of America was just simply freedom. And you've come here, you've raised and brought up an amazing family, and you have a very successful business. So everything that this show represents, and in my opinion, and some, you embody, and that's why you're here. Thank so you. thank you for coming tonight, and thank you for taking your time. I know you're a busy guy. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate that. Absolutely. So what I like to typically do is chronologically walk through someone's life. And this is something I want to put an emphasis on. You were born in Pakistan, correct? correct? And you were in Pakistan until what age? 19. 19 years old. 19. How was that life growing up in Pakistan? And again, I want you to talk about it through the lens of being here now for 30 years, 
-hmm. and knowing that life of a one-year-old to a 19-year-old lives in America versus what you experienced over in Pakistan 30 years ago? Very simple differential. Life is privileged in America. I lived in, I won't call it Section 8 housing, affordable income housing. So, we got fireworks going on over here. Hey, talk about freedom. They're talking about welcoming me. This is my neighbor over here. He's, he's, like, a, he's like the guy from Toy Story next door that blows up all the toys. There you go. You, I got to tame like a 40-year-old. So, even the poor part of America was better than the life I've seen. So, life was just simply amazing from day one. And what I love about this country is you're free to practice your freedom. So the first thing I do when I'm in New York, I go to the mall, get my ear pierced for 20 bucks. Just because I can. That was something that you did once you got here Correct. because you wanted to be able to show that you were free to do whatever you wanted to do. Correct. Now, in your Muslim faith, Back home in Pakistan, are you able to, as a male, pierce your ear? Nowadays, you can. Back then, you couldn't. Back then, you couldn't because it was odd. But I came here from Saudi Arabia, very strict and very conservative culture, where you cannot do a lot of things. So I come here, and all of a sudden, I see you don't have to be rich. You don't have to have a lot of money. You are just free. And that was such an amazing feeling. So I'm going to take you back for a second. So 19 years old, you moved to Saudi Arabia. Correct. Right? From what age to what age were you in Saudi Arabia? 19 to 24. 19 to 24. Obviously, a lot of people know Saudi Arabia is a very conservative Muslim nation. Right. Um, They are very strict in those laws and what they believe in their faith. Right. Um, And that's their right, right? Um, But you had an incident where... You were walking through the inner city. So, as a Muslim, during the prayer time, you should be in the mosque. Was a young man, 24 years old, didn't feel like it. Had a long day at work, went to downtown Riyadh, was about to get on the bus. Got caught by the religious troopers. And next thing I know, they took me to downtown, their headquarters. And they ended up shaving my head because I had long hair. That was such a traumatic incident. As an adult, that was the first time I ever cried. Mm-hmm. I asked my dad, I don't want to live here anymore. He's like, why? And I was like, look, what just happened? I, I want to go to America. I want to be free. And he said, what's the guarantee you'll be free? He was fearful that I will never come back. I will lose connection with the family. That was his fear. So, but I insisted enough that he allowed me. I come to America. So hold on, I gotta stop real quick. So at 24 years old, your dad handed you a blanket, just said, you don't know where you're sleeping, here's something to keep you warm. So that was the craziest thing. I could not, just imagine you being 24, you are stubborn, you know everything while you don't. I was no different. I got the visa, I'm excited coming to America. It's just a dream for a young man to get to this country. Didn't have a whole lot of money. He hands me this blanket. And I was like, what am I going to do with this? 
He said, look, you're going to a country where you don't know where you're going to be sleeping, but at least you'll be warm. I kind of laughed, but he was my dad, so I had to listen to him. I brought that blanket. The very first night when I came to my buddy's apartment, I needed that blanket. And here I am, this July, it will be 30 years, I've been living in America proudly, and I still have that blanket. That's amazing. And I think of my dad all the time. Is your pop still alive? No, he passed away about 13 years ago. But things he did, like that gesture, I want to give it to my kids. Yeah, I think you are. I think you are, and we'll get into that. Let me ask you about your pops. Was he able to see the success? Were you able to share with him you know, the financial freedom you were starting to obtain here, and how did he Not feel and look at it? 13 years ago, I was still an employee, yet he saw the happiness, the fulfillment I had when I described America, that opportunities are for everyone, no matter who you are, black, white, blue, green, didn't matter. You work hard, you make it. Mm-hmm. It was that simple. And he was astonished. You know, I didn't speak a word of English, when I arrived in USA. So I'll talk about my second job, Dunkin' Donuts. I worked from three in the afternoon till six o'clock next morning. And this is where I picked up my English. Yeah, now that's when you first came here and I wanna keep you on track. So when you first came here, one of the first jobs you had taken at 24 years old was at Dunkin' Donuts. No, it was actually a dollar store. Dollar store. It was my buddy, Vinny, who gave me that job. Very happy, 50 bucks a day, seven days a week. Just the happiest, because that 50 bucks was making a whole lot of difference, not in, only in my life, my family's life. Yeah. Now, did, you didn't have a, a wife and kids at that time No, yet, right? gosh, no. You were sending money back home. Sending to... money back home for my parents and my younger siblings. How did you send the money back then? Back then, I believe it was bank, if I remember correctly. You just wired it. Wired the money. So that's what it was. And so working there for a year, after sending money back home, paying my rent, paying the phone bill, which was the biggest expense after rent. Of course. Because there was no cell phones, there were no calling cards, so AT&T was it. Dollar seventy-four a minute. Yeah, and you were calling back home. Calling back home with tax, it was like $2 a minute, and for $2 was a lot of money. Yeah. And I came from a very big family, I'm the oldest of 12. I have 11 younger siblings, mom and dad, 14 people. They all wanted to say hello to me. It was like a choo-choo train, everybody. Hello, hey, hi, mm-hmm. one after another. Wow. So what I did... Did any of your other siblings after that come over to America? Just one. Mm-hmm. Just one. So the money I made and after sending everything, I literally was able to save $3 a week for myself. And that $3 I divided by Monday... Wednesday and Friday. I will go to Dunkin' Donuts and I will buy a 99 cents egg and cheese croissant. Nine out of 10 times, I would not have seven cents to pay the tax for seven. And there was this Filipino group of people working there. They were so kind, they're like, don't worry, it's all good. I have had amazing meals in amazing steakhouses. I've gone to five-star hotels, but I can never top the taste of that egg and cheese croissant till this day. That's crazy. So, right it's a, next it's to... A, it's, a, it's a thing in time that you experienced the taste, what was going on in your life. I and, haven't forgotten that taste. Yeah, that's incredible. It was just so amazing. So how did you end up with a job there? Through them? 
So right next to this dollar store, this gentleman works there. He asked me one day, he goes, how much money do you make here? I said, 50 bucks a day. He goes, so what is that, 250 a week? He goes, how about 375 a week? Would you like that? Like, what do I have to do? And he said, how about working for Dunkin' Donuts? My first question, will I be able to eat egg and cheese croissants? He said, as many as you want for free. I was like, I'm in. Yeah, done. And I said, where is this Dunkin' Donuts? He says, New Jersey. And I'm in White Plains, New York at this point. I said, where is New Jersey? He goes, don't worry, we'll just ship you there. I had no idea where New Jersey was. Now, you were totally giving up what you were doing there and, and just saying, hey, I'm All moving. I had just was suitcase, blanket, and a couple of pair of jeans, and that's it. Didn't have any belongings in yeah. the whole year. You know, that, that minimalist thought process, which to you, you felt like you had everything because you had the freedom, you know, going back to the, the earring, coming into the country, just going through that traumatic event not too long ago where they shaved your head. You wanted to come here and flex that freedom for yourself. I can get my ear pierced if I want to. I Honestly, have freedom. I was not aware that I will have that much freedom. Yeah, you don't know until you I had your... no idea that how free I will be until I got here. It's almost like during COVID when they made us wear masks here, but Florida, you didn't have to wear one. Right. It was so amazing. That was a joke. That Ali. you don't have to be rich to be free. Well, that's what I wanted to get back to. You had a couple pairs of jeans, some T-shirts, your blanket that your father had given you, and you were going to another job that was going to pay you more than you currently had done. Right. And you were still so happy because you simply had that freedom. Absolutely. I love that. It was just an amazing, amazing process when I get to... Madison, New Jersey, that's where this Dunkin' Donuts was. First week, I made $375. I was literally hiding the money under the blanket because I never had that extra money. Yeah, you didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do with it. I was the happiest ever. So when I was in my first training in America was in Brooklyn, New Jersey, or Brooklyn, New York, in a dollar store before I went to White Plains, New York. When I used to go for Friday prayer, in my adult life, I have only prayed twice for myself. One, to the girl I was in love with when I was 16 year old, to marry her, that did not happen. And second, I wanted to make $500 a week. Because that was the store manager was making when I was making 250. God has fulfilled that prayer times way too many times. Yeah. So till this day, I have never asked God anything because he has blessed me way more than I deserve. So talking about your religion, and you said something that I thought was interesting before we got on here. You said, although coming from a Saudi Arabia, how conservative they are in their nation, right. you're almost more free to practice your religion here. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more? So just like uh, Christianity, you have Episcopalian, you have Lutherans. Pentecostal, so Baptists. Absolutely, there's different sects. So, it's the same for Islam as well. There's Shiites, there's Sunnis, there's Wahhabis, different sects of Islam. But in America, one thing I learned, you are respected for who you are, not what you practice. Mm -hmm. And one thing I learned so amazing in this country, without going to any college, any institution, is just learning to coexist with each other. I'm friends with Jews, I'm friends with Catholics, I'm friends with Hindus, 
no boundaries. Mm-hmm. You just respect each other. Just be a good person and allow just the be other a good to person. be free. And don't shove your beliefs on somebody else that they are the right ones. You can talk about it. You can discuss it. At the end of the day, shake hands and leave happy. Yeah. So that is so amazing about this country. I think part of the reason I was so excited to have you on is I think that there's not enough emphasis put on that in this country for the youth. And even people my age, right? I see people 40 and under that really take these type of simple things that you're discussing for granted. And at times, myself included. I'm not above any of these people. I'm in that. Right. And I think if we can somehow find that perspective through the lens of someone like yourself who came from Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, to America and being able to do what you did, like, I think we would all be a lot more happy. I think we would all get along a lot more. And I think a lot more of us can do that quicker if we shut off the news. You know, the mainstream media, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, here, they're, they're all pushing an agenda for something way above our head that we can't really comprehend. And I love how you put that together in a simple sentence and just saying, hey, I'm just happy to be able to be here. I'm happy that people accept me and I'm willing to coexist with all these other people who just respect me and allow me to be, again, free. Yep. So moving along, and I, I love those stories, Ali, they're great. So you go into Dunkin' Donuts. I want to talk about learning English because at this point you haven't really learned English. I want to tap on something which was probably the funniest ever. I'm 24, July 9th, that's when I arrived to America, in the middle of summer. My buddy takes me to Jones Beach. Concert? No, beach. My wife's family is 15 minutes from Jones Beach in Wanta. So here I am, 24 year old, never seen a woman in a bathing suit in my life. <laughs> Other than Pamela and recently on Baywatch. Yeah. They had Baywatch over in Saudi Arabia? In Pakistan they did. Really? But it was censored. It was all blocks all over. They censored the, the mid, good stuff. mid-level? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so here I am at Jones Beach and I'm looking at these women in a bathing suit. My mouth is wide open. I'm like a kid in a candy store. It's like, wow, these are real women. They were not the finest looking women, but they were women in a bathing suit. My mouth was wide open in excitement. My buddy goes, hey, control. Because he saw the excitement on my face. Mm-hmm. And he says, just control. Look, you're good. 5 p.m. when we are done with having fun, I didn't want it to go home. And he promised me he will bring me back next weekend again. With that promise, I said, okay, let's go home. It was probably one of the best days. Yeah, just being in that beach. Just being there free, it, it seeing was, women free. It was beautiful. It was just simply water and just freedom. Now, have, and again, I know that we all read and we're only giving the information that is pushed to us, but have you seen a lot of those restrictions pull up over Definitely. there in, in Saudi Arabia? And, Definitely. Yeah, things I, I are think relaxed, so. women are driving. Things are definitely progressing in a right mm-hmm. way. And I think time is right. 
Yeah, democracy slowly democracy is, moves slow, but it works. Yeah. One thing I often tell my friends, democracy, democracy is an institution. You cannot impose democracy on nations that have never seen democracy. Yeah, look what we did in Iraq and Afghanistan. Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya, when yeah. you have these tyrants, when they get thrown out, you need to teach those people how to understand democracy, how to swallow it, how to practice it. It's a responsibility. Yeah. Not everyone can handle it. It's the same thing going on here in America now today. You know, we're one generation always away from losing our freedoms, and we must remember that it is the utmost important thing that we as Americans need to protect, and especially as, as patriots. And I know that's something I work hard to do. And again, in a civil manner, in a professional manner, right? Um, in, in a coexisting manner, right? but we see how the rest of the world lives. Right. You definitely have seen how the rest of the world lives. I have, that's why I have so much appreciation for this country. Because I'm pretty sure there are freedom in different countries, but what I have seen here, I have lived in different countries, this is by far the best country in the world. So I'm gonna move your story along. You worked for Dunkin' Donuts for how many years? I was there for about five years. Five years, give us, give us a quick inside tip on uh, how your experience was there. So the town I worked in, there are three universities and Dunkin' Donuts was the only place open 24 hours and my shift from three in the afternoon till six next morning. I get a lot of one-on-one -on -one time. It's not that busy. I'm cleaning. All the girls are coming in from colleges and universities. I'm talking. And they were loving you. If you had that hair back then, too. Oh, my God. My hair was beautiful. I had long hair. I was Antonio Banderas. Mm -hmm. At least in my mind, I was. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Ollie. Yeah, well, I tried. <laughs> so, and I will hand out free donuts because we have to... Yeah, end of the night. End of the night. We have to switch it. I'll give it to them. They're loving me. They're teaching me English. I'm making notes. So it was just an amazing experience. There's a group of four guys I met there. They came every single night. And I became one of the best friends of my life, this gentleman named Peter Remy. He was older than my dad. The kindest, kindest man I ever met in my life. Now, I have no account in New Jersey. I'm still banking in New York. That's where I live. He will come pick me up and take me to New York to my bank to transfer the money to my family. Never asked what the tolls were, never asked for gas money, and bought me lunch. Why? Because he loved my work ethic. I worked 17 hours and always upbeat. Now he was the gentleman who owned Dunkin' Donuts? No, he was one of the customers. Just one of the customers? And one of the customers. saw that you were trying to obtain a life here. And when I got married, I didn't know many people. Peter was one of my witness at the courthouse in my wedding. He was that close a friend. And so I've been very, very fortunate that this country allowed me to meet some of the most amazing people. And I've been, honestly, there's no shortage of hardworking people anywhere. And there's no exception here. I'm not the only one. There are millions of others came before me and they come after me. They'll work hard. But the difference in my story and everybody else, I met a lot of kind people along the way. They really expedite my success in this country. Shortened your learning curve. And so how did you go from Dunkin' Donuts into 
the private driving world. So, and Duncan Donuts, I'm there. At one point, I leave the night shift. So I go to McDonald's, working from 5 a.m. till 2 in the afternoon. My second job, Duncan Donuts, still continues from 3 p.m. to 10 p.m. At this point, so I'm So you went to McDonald's first before we got to the car? Yes. Got it. So now I'm like running on my feet all day. I'll come home and I'll ask my wife to give me a leg rub. And she will. And at some point she said, I'm not your fucking nurse. I'm not gonna do this shit for the rest of my life to give you a leg rub every single night. You need to do something about this. So one of the buddies used to drive limo. I asked him, I was like, how is it? He was like, it's okay. You know, whatever money you're making, you'll make more. I tried, I started part-time, ended up loving it because I was always that guy who loves to talk. The interaction in Dunkin' Donuts was a minute long. By the time you pour the coffee, hello, good morning, how was your day, and it's over. If you do that for a couple years straight, you can build a lot of relationships. I did. And all of a sudden, I come into this car business. Now I have these people in my car, minimum of half hour, as many as two and a half, three hours. This is where my life changed. I'm going to take you back to McDonald's real quick. Sure. So I know we talked about another brief story in the car as well as back here about when you are working those types of grueling hours. And again, uh-huh. for anybody who hustles like that, myself included, and I know a ton of people that watch this show that work just as hard or harder than me, burnout happens. And you were working those two jobs. One night you came to McDonald's, threw the seat back, fell asleep, and you never opened it for the shift. Right. Next day or later that day, you want to dunk a donut, your McDonald's owner, boss shows up, that was a life-changing Walk us through that. event. So 4.45 a.m., I show up in the parking lot of McDonald's for a 5 a.m. shift. And just imagine, I live about 35, 40 minutes away to get up 3.30, 3.45 every morning, seven days a week. It's not fun. Yeah. I'm working hard. So I go there, and I don't know what happened. I ask myself, why the hell am I doing this? What for? I'm working seven days, working my ass off, not even enjoying this or enjoying the money I'm making. Who am I doing it for? In my mind, I said, fuck it. I pushed the car seat and went to sleep. Woke up at seven. And that anger in me that why am I doing this is still there. Start the car, went back home, went back to sleep. Finally woke up at 12 noon showered, had something to eat, went back to work, Duncan Donuts. At that point, I'm calm. I was like, okay, you know what? So about 5 p.m. that day, guess who I see walking in through the door? My boss from McDonald's. And I'm going to add, this gentleman was probably the most impactful throughout my life in America. As soon as I see him walking in, I'm terrified. I'm thinking either he's gonna curse, he's gonna punch, or he's gonna start screaming. He didn't do any of that. Instead, he said, how are you? And my response was, I'm really sorry. Like, it's okay. Did you eat anything? I'm not hungry. He said, I didn't ask you that. Did you eat anything? He's like, no, I'll be right back. He leaves, 
comes back with the dinner and he said, I want you to take two days off and come back, we'll talk. I didn't know what he meant. Two days later, I went back. He said, Ali, we all at some point in our life, after working so hard, we get burned out. And that's exactly what happened to you. You are so valuable to me, I never have to check on you. You just had a bad day. He paid me for the day I did not show up. He paid me for two days. I was not a salary employee, yet his gesture of kindness, it was so powerful that I never had a bad day after that. And now you use that actually with... Fast forward all these years later, your I'm life. a business owner, one of my drivers, amazing guy, love him. And he had three back-to-back days in traffic in the UN, United so Nations. So we're all live close. New York City traffic exactly. sucks. This is a United Nation week where traffic is horrendous. And he said, he drops the key, goes, fuck it. I'm not doing this shit anymore. Yeah, and that's done. why I take the boat. And I'm looking at him, and I still remember my boss from McDonald's. And I'm saying to myself, Ali, are you going to handle this the way he did? Or are you going to say, fuck you, this is the way this job is? If you cannot deal with the heat, get the hell out. I was like, no, I'm going to do what he did. I said, Sean, I want you to take three days off. This is what you make on an average day. I'll multiply that by three. Take your wife out. Have a good time. We'll talk when you come back. I felt really good. Yeah. It felt felt good to return Really good. I want to fast track your life a little bit because we only got an hour. Sure. Although I feel like I could spend the whole day talking to you. So now you go into the driving business. And again, we don't have to spend a ton of time. How did that come about? So as I mentioned, my wife said, I'm not your fucking nurse. I'm not going to give you a leg rub every day. Do something different. So I explored this driving thing. Fell in love. Not the driving part. Interacting with people. I said, this is my gig. This is where I'm comfortable. So I left both jobs. And I started doing this full time. 15, 16, 17 hours a day and loved every single minute of it. How did you get your first driving job though? And who was it for? It was a company in Madison, New Jersey. I worked for them for 16 years and made so many amazing, amazing contacts. Which are like your top two contacts that you made there that made an impact on you? My dear friend, Michael Farrell. Michael Farrell, what did Michael do? Michael was the notch below the CEO of MetLife. Mm-hmm. I'm driving a beat-up car, which I purchased for $400 from Buddy O'Brien. I have Buddy a couple of friends that probably don't love Michael that worked for Michael MetLife. Michael is the <laughs> kindest guy ever. I broke down 4 o'clock in the morning driving a $400 car, which I drove for four years. Got your money's worth. I got my money's worth. I'm always a very talkative guy, chatterbox, driving Michael. He goes, Ali, what the hell is wrong with you? You're not fucking talking. Are you sick? I was like, no, I had a rough morning. What happened? Explained to him what happened. And he said, okay, call Nancy, his wife. I was like, why? Is she a mechanic? He goes, stop being a wise ass. Just call her after you drop me. I did. Then she said, Ali, I'm really sorry I heard you had a rough morning. So this is what we're going to do. We have a Tahoe and we have 
a forerunner, which my son Sean was driving. He just got a new car, so it's just parked there. You can have it. I'm thinking in my mind, they're lending me the car until I can figure out what I'm gonna do. I was like, thank you so much. I go to the house to get the car. She hands me a title. On the back of the title, it says gift. And I have to promise her that I'm gonna take that car to a mechanic and if there's any problem, I'm gonna get it fixed and give her the bill. And I said, Nancy, I can never do that to you. So those kind of people I met in this journey really made me wanna be like Mike. Mike was such a powerful guy, well-off guy, but when I see his guest, they talked about after an amazing dinner we just went to, Mike will come home and still make sandwiches for them. He forgot how powerful he was in MetLife. But at home, he was just an average. A regular guy. Regular guy. And I said to myself, if I ever make it big, I want to be that guy. Mm-hmm. So Mike, other than Stan, my former boss with McDonald's, left an amazing, amazing impact on me. And I love him and his wife. Nancy, she treated me like her own son. Love her. Now, I know there was another woman who was talking about putting her kids through college, and you and her were having some type of conversation. So it wasn't that I'm driving this woman, Sandra, my mentor. The most down-to-earth person one can imagine, that's Cassandra. So this is, I would say back in September, October of final senior year for my twins. And she said, Ali, where are your kids gonna go to college? I was like, what do you mean where? They're gonna go to Rutgers. She said, did they apply? And I was like, what do you mean? Did they apply? We live in New Jersey, we all gonna get in. She goes, no, it doesn't work that way. Who's your college counselor? And I said, what does that do? Who's that? No idea what that does. She's like, you know what? I'm gonna have somebody reach out to you. Later that day, someone reached out to me and she said, Cassandra has hired us to help you with your kids' college application, college essays. I have no idea what that process was. Being an immigrant, I didn't know anything. All I knew is how to work hard. My wife, also an immigrant from Poland. So talk about two different world. Here I am coming from- Polar opposites. Complete conservative country. And here she's coming from a very Catholic country where Pope John Paul was the Pope back then. So they feel so connected with religion. Mm -hmm. Yet we made it work. Yeah. It's amazing. It's America. America was at the best. Just at its best. So So 16 years, at what point did you say, I need to go start my own, was it the kids going to college and you're going, that's a hefty bill. I thought I was getting an in-state bill for Rutgers. I have no idea what the billing was. I I was not aware of anything. I didn't know how I was gonna do it because I was someone who was averaging $120 to $150 a day. It was just enough for us to live. And then it just hit me. How am I gonna pay for my kids' college? And being an employee all my life, the fear of going on my own, what if it doesn't work out, then what? So that stopped me for a very long time. 
So my son, Sebastian, at the age of 14, a very good client, Tony, I asked him for a favor if he can have an internship at his law firm. He said, Ali, he's too young. It's like, can you do me a favor? He says, you're such a hardworking guy, anything for you. So Sebastian, from the age of 14 till 17, he worked in that law firm as an intern. He saved $11,000. It's awesome. I have no assets. I'm driving Jeep Cherokee, which I sold for $5,000. Sebastian hands me $11,000 towards my first car. This is how my business, Patriot Limousine, started. So you jumped ahead, because I wanted to ask Sorry. you about the name. So first off, I didn't know that at all. That's amazing. Does your son own any equity? He does not. Wow. You really became an American. <laughs> you are a shark. <laughs> so I'm he, deser- he deserves at least at least 10%. Yeah, he does. Sebastian, I got you back. Call me. I got good attorneys. <laughs> he said it on tape. Yeah. Real quick. How did you come to the name of Patriot Limousine? So my buddy, Sean, is sitting with the accountant forming an LLC. And he said, Ali, we have to pick a name now. I'm sitting with, with the accountant. I am literally outside Lincoln Tunnel entering New Jersey. I had few names in my head. One was my daughter's name, Abira. Then I said, you know what? I'm in America. That's not a very catchy name. Then I said, Ali's limo. That didn't resonate really well with me. And then all of a sudden, something struck my head. I said, this country is nothing but amazing to me ever since I've been here from day one. Why don't I call my company Patriot Limousine and being a patriot? And I said to Sean at that moment, Patriot Limousine, that's what we're gonna call it. They searched the name, it was available, and that's how we came up with that name. That's and a great name, very fitting. I was afraid though, because I had a lot of Jets friends. I was like, I don't want to piss them off. <laughs> but luckily, Giants friends were a lot stronger, so it didn't matter. It's very true, very true. They're both in New Jersey, by the way, for anybody yep. that needs to clarify that. So you start kicking off this business. I want to talk, obviously you're driving around a lot of successful people. They're going in and out of the city, Connecticut. You're bringing them to the airport. They're being dispersed all over the country. You know, guys like number two at MetLife, Michael. You also have a very interesting aspect of your business that caught my eye, which was you transport organs. We recently, about eight months ago, started that business. Talk a little bit about that. Give us a quick scenario. You don't have to give any names, any details, but of what that looks like, what type of transportation is needing, the logistics of that, and why you got into it. It is such an amazing experience just knowing that you are a part of changing someone's life. When I see these doctors, they're flying from their home to private jets, doing a surgery, and then they're flying back to perform surgery for the recipient. And I'm just happy that I'm a part of that. So I need to drill down a little bit further. Sure. So you gave me an example, this cardiac surgeon was flying somewhere else in the country to take care of a a, a very tough situation. I think it was in a younger, was a younger girl? Quite a few of them. Yeah, I, I forget exactly what it was. Anyway, so when this, 
cardiac surgeon is taken via helicopter or you pick him up, you take him to the PG, private jet, and he's now going to this surgery. He has the organ with him at times, correct? That's correct. Yeah, because of the time sensitivity. So my crew, my SUVs, two o'clock at night, because these things are never on schedule. Because normally there are three teams flying in, liver, kidney, and heart. They are not all arriving same time. Sometimes my guys sit there all night long, just waiting. Waiting for the... For the surgery to happen, so they can harvest the organ and fly to the city where the receiver may be. So your guys are sitting outside of this hospital. Where the surgery is happening. It's like, who brings that down to them? Like, how does that all happen? It's so, so interesting to me. In most cases, it's a nurse who's going to administer this whole process from hospital to the private jet. And she's going to, she or he will fly in that private jet to the receiver's hospital. And my guys are on the other end. So my company, Patriot, been very fortunate, has grew all over the country. My affiliates, I have a part of affiliates pretty much in every single city in the country. It's amazing. So going back, I don't want to jump in front. I jumped ahead. I Sorry. apologize. So we started, as I said, uh, with the hope to enough work for two cars. And within three months, we had a third one. Fourth month, we had another car. I was just overwhelmed. So the money I borrowed from Sebastian, that 11,000, I was able to give him that money back. Did you give him interest? I did not. <laughs> and what he did with that money, he asked me to take him to TD Ameritrade office. He wanted to open up his stock account. And we did. It's awesome. Yep. That's a great story. Again, I did not know that your son lent you the well, original money. You know, How many cars do you have today? Currently 10. Yeah. And I have numerous affiliates all over the country. And give a little description for the people that may watch us. We have a lot of successful people that tune in um, that live obviously in a tri-state area that could use your services. And I have to say, I don't just give anybody a compliment. Ali did an excellent job, picked us up in his Suburban, very smooth ride, great conversation as you could tell, um, got us there on time. I fully back Ali and his service. Appreciate that. So you obviously are taking people into the city, airports, is there anything else, specialty or niche that you do? Kids transportation. So Ryan, this is where the relationship has kicked in so big. Let's say you have a 15 year old daughter. You don't wanna put that 15 year old daughter in a stranger's hand. So this is when, say Ali, it's my Especially daughter. if you're wealthy or you're somebody that could be. You don't have to be wealthy. We all have one thing in common, we love our kids. We want them to be protected. Mm -hmm. And there are times we cannot be in two places at the same time. I happen to be very fortunate, happen to know a lot of successful people where they can afford the services. So we provide transportation for the kids. We have done tr numerous trips to Penn State. We have gone Trinity College, you name it, every college in Tri-State area we have gone to, to drive somebody's granddaughter, grandson, just peace of mind that they are protected. Yeah, they're not hopping in a ram, random... Random stranger's car. Yeah. Uber, which they'll yeah. probably sue me now. So it is such an amazing, amazing journey so far. So... So I want to talk I about that. I just wanted to just share one thing, which was 
it still till this day makes me cry. College essays for my twins. My son wrote a college essay about him and I playing basketball together in a backyard. When I came home, first thing I asked, how was your game today? How many points did you score? So he wrote a college essay about that relationship when we bought our first home. I put the floodlight in the backyard. When I got home at 10 o'clock at night, I woke him up. I said, let's go play basketball. We'll shoot the hoop for 10, 15 minutes. And he wrote the college essay about that. And this young lady I talk about, Cassandra, she was my mentor. And she was the one who helped me through college application and all. So at the end of his college essay, he wrote that my dad is so proud of us. When he's driving those successful people, he's seeing us one day walking through those doors on the road to success. That was such a touching moment for me. Yeah, that's that amazing. I said to myself, I have already accomplished an American dream. My kids going into corporate America one day, that is my goal. Or business ownership. Like business ownership is real, real, real freedom yeah. in this culture. I want to talk about freedom and you purchasing your first home and another story you'd shared briefly. You said that you had been driving for a certain client for a good amount of time. You just purchased your first home in America. Tell that story. So I'm coming out of um, affordable income housing, two bedroom apartment. I have three kids at that point. My son Sebastian, his twin sister Amira, and my younger son Bassam. I call him Sam. So both the boys sleep in the bottom, my daughters on the top of the bunk bed. And a really rough neighborhood. But my wife did not complain. She said, that's all we can afford. The rent was $590. We have a roof over the head. So now I buy my first home. I have no furniture because we threw out all of it because we weren't going with the bunk beds. I'm sitting on a bare floor with a mattress and I'm sharing first time my Dunkin' Donuts story with my daughter. She has tears gushing out of her eyes. She said, Dad, you have gone through all this? I was like, yes, I have. But I'm so proud to be sitting here on this bare floor waiting for furniture that which I don't have, we order. That was such a touching moment. She hugged me, we both cried. It was probably the most amazing time. We into her house. I have this amazing friend, Joe and Eileen. They send me a housewarming present. I have gotten a lot of presents. Probably there's no present was better than that. She sends me a toolbox and an American flag. I look at this American flag with the stick. I'm putting that on my front door and I have tears. And I'm like, today I'm true American. I felt that I really made it in this country. That's awesome, dude. That is, that is. That flag was so, such an emotion. It is the American dream to come here, be free, have a job and have a house. Amazing moment. And I happened to just drive Eileen today and I told her that I'm gonna be interviewed and I'm gonna talk about that flag story. She was smiling, laughing. She's like, Ali, I completely forgot. Yes, that's right. That's amazing. The little gestures, you know, you're somebody that's just so happy 
to, to be here and be free and have a job and now you are obtaining a home for your family. Careful. Don't burn yourself with that thing. I'm good, thank you. So where do you look to take your business? What does your next five, 10, 15 years look like for Patriot Limousine? Honestly, Ryan, the way things have worked out after COVID, there was a lot of fear. I think I was gonna go out of business. I don't know what pre-COVID period gonna look like, but it turned out to be a great thing. I have never been this busy in my life. If I want, I can work 24 hours. That's how busy I am. One of my employees, Coptic Christian from Egypt, he calls me up and he said, Ali, I wanna thank you. I said, what did I do? He said, I have never made this much money in my life what I have working for you. I've been in this industry for 20 some years, but I have never made this much money. It made me feel so good that I'm a part of American dream, that now I'm on a giving hand. You can give that to the next guy. Yep. And that's what it's all about. That's what this podcast is about. Because too many people get too greedy and once they get that American dream, they don't turn around and help the next guy. You're helping that guy. You're probably helping multiple guys and more people need to do that shit in this country. And we wouldn't have greed and we wouldn't have the infighting that we have if people just turned around and helped the next guy. It's, it's not that hard to do. It's not. Kudos to you for doing that. You're so, gonna make more of an impact than a lot of people who are born so here. One thing I've been planning to do quite a, for quite a bit, I have not done, I'm not successfully done, I should say. I wanted to hire a veteran. I wanted to hire someone who came from Afghanistan or Iraq. Because friends like Michael Farrell, the car story I share with you, friend like Cassandra, what she shared with me. There were so many others along the way. My dear friend, Edie and Matt, amazing gestures of kindness throughout my journey. So I feel it's my time, it's my turn to give back. And I want to start out with veterans, someone whose life got disrupted. You want to hire a veteran? I, w I would love to. Yeah. I would love to. Because I know that there's some Border Patrol. I know that there's some troops that watch this uh, podcast. So anybody out there that's looking for a drive and I, you have I a license. I would love to have that because one thing I have learned, favor is not a one-way street. You just cannot take, take, take. At some point, you have to give back. And to me, what better way to give back by hiring somebody who fought for our country. Fought for freedom. Fought for our freedom. We can sit here, you being the white guy, I'm being the brown man. We can have this conversation and be respected. Yeah, absolutely. How many other countries can we do that? Can we say that about? Not many. Not many. Not. So I want to give back. That's amazing. And you already are. Even, even by sharing this story, you have no idea who you're going to inspire. You have no idea who's going to see this. I got to share a quick story selfishly about the podcast myself and my team. Today, I received a text message. I was busy meeting after meeting, and I saw this text thread going off, and it seems pretty serious. And usually, this is a joking thread. Right. And 
my good friend Matt Cangelosi from Jersey Freeze. Shout out to Jersey Freeze, Matt, Katie, all of them. They're amazing. He sends me this video, which is about a minute and a half, where he describes he was at Center State. He was going to the gym, does his workout, gets out of the shower. He's getting dressed for his day. And some guy stops him and says, hey, you're the guy from Jersey Freeze. And he's like, yeah. And now they're in freehold. His business is in freehold. It's a big business. So it's not out of the norm for somebody to recognize him. And he proceeds to tell him, I saw you on Fireside. And I know you used to be on the job as a police officer. And he goes, yeah. And now he's thinking to himself, like, you know, this guy obviously saw the podcast. And um, he then says, I'm I'm Border Patrol. I'm down in uh, Texas. And um, I'm up here because my wife is having a baby. Right. And all of us down in my troop watch Fireside. And we love what Ryan and his team and Fireside America stands for. So you have no idea who's going to see this. You have no idea who you're going to inspire. So you're already giving back by coming and being open and telling your story and more people need to do it. Honestly, I really want to give back because people like Cassandra, they inspired me. I never brag about it. Learning comes in so many different ways. And one thing I have learned, money is not the only help you can give to someone guidance so that experience with the college application so what i have done all my friends who are new in the country came from pakistan or india when their kids are going through senior or high school or junior i'm telling them what to do what i have learned in that process from my twins amira sebastian and basam that knowledge so that can save God. them potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars. Absolutely. Although you're not giving them any money, you really are it's giving just them advice. That what avenues are available for mm-hmm. everybody? You don't have to be rich. You just have to be empowered by knowledge. Yep. And knowledge is free, and nobody can take it away from you. Listen, again, this podcast is about yep. giving back the knowledge. Knowledge is so powerful, and it's up to the other person on the other end, your friends on the other end, to take it and run with it. So starting to wind this down, Ali, I like to ask... I don't want to forget one person who I promised that I'm going to mention. That's my love of my life, my 10-year-old daughter. All right. Surprise baby. The most beautiful gift I have today. I live for her. I'll do anything. She said to me, Dad, make sure you mention my name. So it's obvious that she's your favorite. No doubt. <laughs> no doubt. So and she said to mention that she's pretty. And I was like, you're not pretty. You're gorgeous. <laughs> Good answer. Good reply. Yeah. I'd like to ask a couple questions sure. towards the end. Two specific ones. So again, tri-state area. It could be local to here. It does not matter. But another business owner that you want to give some credit to or you want to speak highly of or you like to follow in their footsteps of how they run their business? You know, give us one or two. Tough one. There's so many businesses. When I look at franchises, like Jersey Mike. Mm -hmm. Simple concept. Everybody was selling sandwiches. Mm -hmm. What this guy have done. All over country. It's amazing. All over the world. All over the world. Yeah, I think he's out of the U.S. now, too. Exactly. So 
you know. And he's right down the street. The first Jersey Mike's ever right. was right here down Bay Ave on Bridge. Literally the first Jersey Mike's ever. And, you know, I think the second or third was this one right up on Route 35. Yeah. So it's just, you know, the whole concept of somebody having the courage and power and not being afraid to start something. Fear is something would stop me for a very long time. But with the right guidance, right people around you, you can get over that fear. Listen, I, and, and this is again another unselfish plug for myself, and this is about your story, but you know, I have recently over the last two years kind of organically fell into a coaching role. And again, I always knew I wanted to give back my knowledge, and by no means do I know everything. But I've been able to pull myself from a very low position to be able to afford a nice home in a nice area and, and live the life that my wife and I desire for our kids. And it was like a message that came for me from the universe, the big guy upstairs, God, whatever it is, that for you to obtain real financial freedom, Ryan, in your life, you need to turn around and help the next best, next guy in line, like right. I was saying earlier. So in coaching now, I see these little things that are such holdups for people, and I'm like, just do it. It's fine. It's not going to be a big deal. But that barrier of fear, like you're talking about, that they have is real, and you need to help them understand that. They can get past that barrier of fear and on that other side is amazing growth and closer to the goals, obtaining the goals that they have for themselves, whether that be with their mind, body, or obviously financial, obtaining financial freedom. Fear is a big thing that deters a lot of people and they will have a soul sucking job or something that's beating them down physically or mentally for their whole entire career. And again, it's admirable because you put a roof over your family's head put some money away for retirement and you worked hard and you gave back to society. But I want to reach out to those people who have that fear and say, you can do it if you really truly want it. And it doesn't mean the other thing is wrong. It doesn't mean corporate job is wrong. But if you want something more and you're in that soul sucking, that physical, you know, you're getting a lot of physical issues due to your job, stress, whatever it may be, you could do it, push back that fear. Sorry for the rant. You know, going back, I cannot emphasize enough that how much I want to give back because I was, I'm being on a receiving end for so many years for kindness, for people guiding me through the path they put me on. They really put the easy pass on me so I can expedite my success. There's so many people have helped me in that journey to get to my destination a lot quicker. It's awesome. Second question. If you could tell a young entrepreneur, a young Ali, a, a young Ryan or Mike that was looking to go into business ownership, what's the one thing that you would tell them to listen to or keep with them or to think about? Work hard. You don't get breaks every day, but when you get that break, take it. Don't be afraid. That's great. Simple, but to the point. And- all it makes all the sense you got to work hard without working hard you're not getting anywhere yeah i think a lot of times we all think we're working hard when you can work much harder sure here i am thank god i'm doing fairly well from where i started out still got a long way to go i got two kids out of college already in the corporate world my third one basam he's senior in ngit graduating in may 
So I think I have already accomplished that American dream. That's awesome. For me to give contribution to this amazing society. It wouldn't be possible just with hard work, just with so many amazing people guiding me along the way. How does your friends, maybe the ones that were from 35, 40 years ago, back in Pakistan, and again, this could be even during your whole entire journey in the United States, how did your friends from Pakistan or Saudi Arabia view the United States? I'm glad you asked this question. So 9-11 was a rough time for everybody. On the morning of 9-11, I was on my way to World Trade Center with a client. I was 15 minutes late, not because I was late. We did not connect. We saw the second plane going in. Me and this dear client back then, Dan, it wasn't our time. If I was on time 15 minutes early, I would be right under the building. Debris could have flown and hit the car. I could have been dead, just like so many unfortunate people did that day. It, as a Muslim, I'm a big believer that if it's not your time, nobody can take you away. It wasn't my time. Uh-huh. It was painful to go through the aftermath but I said, I am not gonna focus on people getting mad at me because of who I am. The people who did that, they look like me, they may have practiced the same faith. I always looked at America with the eyes of a Stan, my former boss from McDonald's. When he came to check on me, I was not even an employee anymore. I left McDonald's, but he came to check on me after 9-11 just to see if people are bothering me, if I was okay. That brought tears in my eyes. I was like, he knows me, who I am. He knows my work ethic, he knows as a person who I am. And this is the America I wanna remember. This is the America I wanna replicate. This is the America I wanna present when I'm capable to give back. So Stan is my America. That's amazing. How did your friends perceive all that at the time? So when I went to Pakistan first time after 9-11, everybody asked me one question. How are Americans treating you? I asked them just one simple question. I said, just imagine the magnitude of terrorism what America just have faced. If this happens in Pakistan and someone come into your country and do this to you, what would you do? everyone's unified answer was, we will kill those motherfuckers. And I said, they have not killed this motherfucker. Sure, there are angry people. Sure, they're upset. If you lose your loved ones, you have every right to be angry. But overall, this country is so fucking amazing that you cannot ask for any more tolerant country in the world than America is. Sure, there are it's a very slim minority of people who are hateful. That's how they are. You cannot change them. But yeah, overall... That is not the majority or close to it. They are not the majority. They'll they're, never they're, be. They're not even close to the majority they're, of those hateful They never people. will be. Because there will be people like you who can sit down with me and have a conversation. Why wouldn't I be? You're an amazing person. Yeah. There will be people like Stan. There will be people like Cassandra. And so many more. So I just never look at the negatives. I always look at the positive, that what impact these people have made in my life 
and I want to carry forward, and I want to give it back to the future immigrants. I, I, I am somebody at times who can get caught up on what someone did wrong for me, uh, just being honest. Um, and uh, I'm going to make it a point to make sure that I focus on just the ones who helped me because of you. You're making a lot more of an impact than you realize coming here and sharing your story. You're making a huge impact on your family and your children and your friends back home. You are pushing democracy for the people back home because they see how you can come here and you can thrive in this amazing country. I really appreciate your story. It's extremely powerful. I think this is going to get a ton of love and a ton of attention. And thank you for coming here tonight. You're very welcome. And thank you, America. Without being in this amazing country, I wouldn't be here. So once again, thank you. Awesome.